John chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am teaching on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority speaks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him who you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, 
this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered then, have you also been deceived? Has any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Thank you very much for reading for us, Liz. Um, please do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be uh, diving into that together. And you can find some space for notes there in the bulletin too if you are uh, the kind of person that likes to take notes. Um, you'll see on page four, there's even some questions at the end to discuss over coffee um, afterwards. But before we, uh, before we dive in, let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, these words of Jesus Christ written down for us, breathed out by your spirit. Uh, through which you speak to us today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us understand, that Lord, help us believe, and help us to respond with obedience. We pray that you might, as Jesus says, help us to be those whose, whose wills are to do God's will. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a child, um, I was never great at soccer. And uh, I have to say, in England, that is a problem, because um, soccer isn't so much a sport there as the national religion. And so my parents tried to help me find something that I was good at. If your parents, no doubt you try this with your kids. Um, one of the things I attempted was judo. Uh, do people play judo here? Is that a thing um, over here? I know that mixed martial arts is kind of more popular. Um, anyway, um, like a number of uh, other martial arts, one of the keys in judo is this. That you have to be able to use your opponent's strength against them. Uh, when they lunge for you, you grab them and twist and, and throw them onto the mat. Um, an attack is turned into a counterattack. Now, I saw this done to great effect, uh, not by me, but rather to me. I remember fighting, I think, only in one competition. That was all it took. Um, after spending most of my time on the mat, I concluded that I just wasn't really very good at sports. Uh, what that did give me, however, was a great sermon illustration. Uh, it was worth it for that. Uh, because in our text today, what we see, I believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ performing a kind of spiritual judo. Uh, Jesus is, a, is under attack uh, at this point. Um, he's visiting Jerusalem um, during the Jewish feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during that feast, everyone would come to Jerusalem and they would live in tents. Uh, they were reliving and remembering God's provision for them when they wandered uh, in the wilderness. It was like an annual religious camping trip. Maybe you go to camp. Well, this was kind of camp for everyone in Jerusalem. Uh, and everywhere you look, people are there. In fact, if you look through the text, you'll see there are various different groups represented. 
There are the religious leaders referred to as the Jews there in verse 15. And then in verse 20, we have a crowd of visitors, the people who flock to the city. And finally, there are the people of Jerusalem, the native residents we see in verse 25, probably glad for the surge in business during the feast, but also very glad when everyone leaves so they can have their city back again. And so we find everyone is here together. It's quite the mix. And yet, everyone seems to have one thing in common. All of them are discussing Jesus. All of them are presenting a challenge to him. Each one of them lunges at Jesus Christ in some form, and in some form of attack, and the attack really is in the form of a question. Each one of them challenges or opposes Jesus Christ in some particular way. And when we step back, the challenge or, or the kind of wrestling match here seems to take place in three main movements. Now, firstly, in verses 14 through 24, we see a challenge to Jesus' authority, a challenge to Jesus' authority. And then in 25 through 31, we see a challenge to Jesus' origin, a challenge to his origin. And then finally, in verses 32 and following, the challenge begins to flip. And there we see Jesus Christ himself presenting a challenge to his listeners. In fact, it isn't so much a challenge as an awesome invitation. And yet, this is what we see throughout. All the way through, Jesus is turning the tables. His responses are like expert judo throws. Um, Jesus counters each attack with his own counterattack against his listeners. Uh, Challenging Jesus' authority leads to Jesus challenging our authority. Uh, Challenging Jesus' origin leads to Jesus challenging the origin of our unbelief. Where does that unbelief come from? And as these different groups challenge Jesus, Jesus actually exposes us. He exposes our inconsistency. He exposes our ignorance of God. Uh, We don't know God and we don't love God as we should. And then after he's done that, he presents this challenging offer, a challenging offer, a challenging invitation. Uh, Here we begin to see the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save. He's come to pour out his life-giving spirit to give new life to inconsistent and ignorant people like us. And so here is the outline in case you are taking notes. Challenging Jesus' authority. That's the first point we see in 14 through 24. Challenging Jesus' authority. And secondly, challenging Jesus' origin in verses 25 through 31. And then finally, Jesus' challenging offer. Jesus' challenging offer to us in verses 32 and following. And in this, we see Jesus exposing our need, and then we see how he lovingly meets that need. And so let's dive in, shall we? And firstly, we see people challenging Jesus' authority. People are challenging Jesus' authority. And here is the point. In, in verses 14 through 24, people question Jesus' right to teach. Especially they're concerned about what he's teaching. Look down at verse 14 with me. As Jesus teaches the people in the temple, a very bold thing to do during the feast, the Jewish leaders are concerned with Jesus Christ's credentials. Look down at verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, uh, by which he means the Jewish leaders, uh, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And now at first glance, you might think that's quite a flattering assessment. They marveled at Jesus. That seems to be a positive thing. And yet the original word there is ambiguous. It seems really that they're astonished, yes, but uh, but they're not so much astonished by, by Jesus' acumen, but rather by his audacity. He doesn't have the appropriate degrees. He doesn't have the appropriate letters after his name to be there. 
How could he dare to teach like this in the most important place, the temple, at one of the most important times of the year, during the Feast of Tabernacles? In other words, they see Jesus as an imposter. For him to do this is like inviting Mickey Mouse to speak at the Harvard graduation ceremony. And listen, I think we can relate to this. What do I mean? Well, well, I think actually we see the very same challenge presented to Jesus Christ today. When you start speaking about the Bible, when you start speaking about Jesus Christ, what do people say? Well, they say, why should we listen to him? Why should we listen to that? Why should we consider the opinions of a, of a Jewish teacher from 2,000 years ago? Why take our cues from an unschooled, uneducated Galilean peasant when we could follow a, a band of philosophers and scientists who've, who've studied all of the teachings of humanity down the ages? And now it's interesting to note the apostles actually themselves faced this accusation in the book of Acts. Now, when they preached the gospel, probably actually to these same Jewish leaders, what did those leaders notice? Well, in Acts chapter 14, verse 15, we read, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. It's the same word. And then, of course, they recognized that they had been with Jesus, which, of course, for the Christian is the ultimate qualification. But it seems that Christianity has always been challenged on an, on an intellectual, on an academic basis. You hear this argument, don't you? Well, a lot of smart people aren't Christians. And a lot of people who are Christians, well, let's be honest, they're not going to win any Nobel Prizes anytime soon, are they? And so they challenge Jesus' authority. Uh, what authority does someone like Jesus have to teach? Uh, but look at Jesus' response. I mean, I love this because because at this point, Jesus turns the tables. At this, this point, Jesus proves himself to be a spiritual judo expert. And firstly, he tells us where his teaching comes from. It comes straight from God. Look at verse 16. And so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Uh, and then what does he say? Well, well, this is what I love. Instead of defending himself, he goes on the counterattack. Uh, to those who challenge his authority, he now challenges their authority. Uh, he challenges our authority. Uh, particularly, he challenges our moral authority, doesn't he? He does this by exposing our inconsistency. In fact, that's really what we see throughout the rest of this section. Uh, he causes us to question ourselves. Uh, I mean, on what possible basis do we think we're in a position to judge the Lord Jesus? Uh, look at verse 17. Firstly, Jesus challenges our motives. He challenges our motives. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. In other words, we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to please God? I mean, think about your own life. Is your real aim in life to do God's will? If so, then Jesus says, well, well then you're in a position to judge my teaching. Uh, but the truth is we aren't committed to do God's will. In fact, Jesus goes on to explain all too often we're driven by something else, aren't we? Verse 18, uh, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, which is a, a bit of a sideswipe at the Jewish leaders, isn't it? Uh, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, by which he means himself, well, he is true, and in him there is no falsehood. In other words, before you question me, and before you take the judge's seat, consider yourself uh, and consider whether you're qualified. Uh, take a long, hard look at yourself. Look at your own life. What is motivating you? What is driving you? Are you driven by a love for God and his glory? Or are you driven by a desire for your own glory? Uh, are you serving yourself 
That's really the question. And finally, in case we don't get the point, um, Jesus gives an example, doesn't he? You see, one of the big problems the leaders had with Jesus was this. He seemed to be breaking their Sabbath rules. The Sabbath for the Jews was with the seventh day of the week. Um, They were meant to take the whole day off from their regular work. It was meant to be a day that was spent in worship, in, in other religious duties. And over the years, certain regulations were developed about what was and was not allowed. And just a couple of, uh, sorry, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus Christ seems to blitz right through those regulations. He heals a man on the Sabbath and, and, and asks that man to pick up his mat. And that got these leaders' hackles up. How could this man be from God? I mean, he's encouraging this man to break our regulations. Uh, well, in verses 19 through 20, Jesus uh, really comes back to that point. Uh, he wants them to know that, that they're actually they're just a bunch of religious hypocrites. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Uh, he says, well, yes, of course he has. Uh, and they must have said, yes, that's why we're here. We love the law. Uh, but if you love the law so much, Jesus says, why don't you keep it? Uh, I mean, this religious group of leaders are plotting to kill the Lord Jesus. I mean, they're planning to commit murder. And now they're worried about a man carrying his mat on the wrong day of the week. It seems to be a little bit of uh, moral confusion, doesn't it? And even when it comes to the Sabbath itself, they aren't so consistent. You see, before the leaders uh, themselves and also before the crowds, uh, Jesus is is calling these leaders out. He's saying, well, what about your own Sabbath keeping? And ultimately what Jesus is doing is this. He's saying this. He's saying, you think you have the right to question me? I mean, do we really believe that we have the right to challenge the teaching of Jesus Christ? Uh, What he says about marriage, what he says about the way we use our bodies, about the way we use our time and talents. Okay, well, on what possible authority do we have the uh, authority to challenge him? And Jesus was committed to doing God's will perfectly. He always followed God's law. He always pursued God's glory. And Jesus Christ truly did practice what he preached. Uh, No one has been more consistent in human history. For example, Jesus taught us to love our enemies. And what did he say when he hung on the cross for a crime he didn't commit? He said, Father, forgive them. And we, you, me, we question his authority. I mean, if you aren't convinced, print out the Ten Commandments and put them up on your mirror. And as you brush your teeth each night, just uh, go down them and see if you've broken any one of them. Have you loved God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Do you, do you, do you live to seek God's glory? Or, or do you live your life your own way? Do you live your life for yourself? Do you live your life to enhance your own reputation? Do you even live up to your own standards? I mean, just write down the rules that you expect other people to live by and, and put those upon the mirror and consider, do you even keep them? Aren't all of us hypocrites, really, in so many ways? Aren't all of us so inconsistent in the way that we live? Uh, Whenever we point the finger at others, as the proverb goes, there are always three fingers pointing back, aren't there? And so can you see what Jesus is doing here? Uh, When we challenge his authority, what does he do? Well, he flips it around. He, He questions us. He causes us to question our own assessment of reality. Now, challenging Jesus' authority leads Jesus, leads to Jesus challenging our authority. And he does this by exposing our inconsistency. And we see something very similar as we go on to verses 25 through 31. And there the, the people of Jerusalem begin to question the, author, sorry, the origin of Jesus. They question Jesus' origin. 
And so we've looked at questioning Jesus' authority. Now let's look at questioning Jesus' origin. Uh, because this really is the sticking point. It isn't that Jesus doesn't have the credentials to teach, that's part of it, but, but it's also that people struggle to believe in Jesus because of where he comes from. I look down at verses 25 and uh, through 27 with me. Verse 25. Uh, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Uh, what is the scoop? What, what is going on here? Uh, well, I suggest that what this amounts to is this. The native people in Jerusalem are ultimately questioning their leaders. Uh, it isn't so much that the people in Jerusalem think that Jesus might be the Christ. Uh, no, the point is this. They know that he can't be. Uh, and what seems to be trouble is, troubling them is that, that the leaders aren't doing something about it. Uh, the leaders in Jerusalem seem to be allowing this charade to continue. Uh, now, a moment ago, I just announced a whole slate of elders and deacon candidates. And uh, I've given you 30 days' notice. We're going to be voting on those candidates in a congregational meeting on December 17th. Uh, and I need to be uh, careful here when I use this illustration, but I believe that uh, the men I mentioned are all good men. But imagine for a moment that one of the candidates I announced was infamous. Uh, imagine that one of them was a fugitive of the law. Uh, imagine that one of them had a warrant out uh, for their arrest because they were an unrepentant axe murderer. And you might want to question our leadership and how it is they somehow managed to get uh, onto the list. Uh, you don't expect your leaders to promote an, an infamously bad apple. Uh, you don't even expect them to passively allow the ministry of such a person to go unchecked. Uh, that is how it is with the people in Jerusalem. That's how they feel. Uh, wasn't there a warrant out for Jesus' arrest? Uh, didn't Jesus Christ deserve a death sentence? Weren't they trying to kill him? And so they're outraged. There is Jesus, a Galilean imposter, and, and yet the leaders seem to be allowing him to speak openly in the temple. Have our leaders been taken in by this? Maybe it's time we elected a new high priest or something. Uh, does what I'm saying here make sense? You see, the, the concern uh, with the people in Jerusalem is that they know Jesus can't be the Christ. They know this can't be the Christ. Well, how do they know that? Well, it's his origin. It's where Jesus Christ comes from. And you see the same concern expressed further down the page in verses 40 through 42. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? He comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. And now this is deeply ironic, isn't it? Because the irony won't be lost on anyone who knows the Christian story and the Christmas story. Where was Jesus from? Where was he born? I suspect the answer could be given by our, even our youngest member. But was he born in Galilee? No, he was, he was born in a stable in, in Bethlehem. And so these crowds are wrong, and yet, yet their challenge is clear. They challenge the origin of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, once again, we see the same thing today, don't we? Uh, this is, of course, related to Jesus' authority. Uh, these two points go together. Uh, but the basis on which many people challenge Jesus' authority is, is where Jesus comes from. Uh, we've already seen this in John. The problem is, when many people think about Jesus... All they can think about is Jesus' humanity. 
They believe that Jesus was a great man. They believe that Jesus was only a man. And as such, because he was only a man, well, well, he's just one of us. He, like the rest of us, has a limited, time-bound, culture-bound perspective. And Jesus is just one of us. And if he's just one of us, why should I give what he has to say any kind of special privilege? Surely what I think, what I think is worth just as much as him. After all, we, we claim to, uh, we, what we claim to know about God is just speculative anyway, isn't it? I mean, do we really know anything about God? You see, the origin and authority of Jesus go together. If Jesus is just a humble Galilean carpenter, then, then why on earth should anyone listen to him? He certainly can't be the Christ, God's promised king. Uh, no, people challenge the origin of Jesus Christ, and so they, they challenge the origin of Jesus' teaching. Uh, but look at what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus responds to this. Look, look again at this, uh, this great uh, uh, move, this great act of spiritual judo. Uh, we question his origin, and then Jesus questions ours. And more specifically, he questions the origin of our unbelief. Uh, he challenges us to consider where is it that our atheism or our agnosticism really comes from? If challenging his authority leads to exposing our inconsistency, what does, what does challenging his origin do? Well, it exposes our ignorance. Uh, look down at verse 28. At verse 28. And so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. Uh, and then listen to this. This is the key. He who sent me is true and you do not know him. Uh, you are ignorant. That's the point. Uh, you don't know God. Uh, and just consider for a moment who Jesus is speaking to. Uh, these are the people of Jerusalem. Uh, they aren't just Israelites, God's people, but they, they're the people who live in the capital city. Uh, they're the offspring of Abraham, people of the promise. God had rescued them out of Egypt. God had revealed himself to them. He'd given his word to them in the scriptures. Uh, but, says Jesus, you don't know God. But this is the reason you don't recognize me. Uh, because you don't know God, uh, because uh, you aren't familiar with him, well, you wouldn't even recognize him if he came up and bit you. Uh, and yet you can question me, he says. Uh, you can question me. You think that you're in a position to question where I came from. As uh, we read in verse 29, uh, Jesus says, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Uh, the reason you don't realize this is because you don't know God. Uh, basically, there, there's a logic here that's very similar to what we've already seen. Uh, when people come to Jesus challenging his authority, what does he say? Well, well, how do you, sinful, selfish, inconsistent people, possibly have the moral authority to question me? And when people come to him and challenge his origin, what does he say? Well, listen, he says, uh, let me tell you where your disbelief, where your cynicism really comes from. It, it comes from your ignorance. It comes from the fact that you don't know God. You see, this is what happens when you pick a fight with the Lord Jesus. It, it's, it's challenging, isn't it? When we challenge him, what happens? Well, he lovingly and gently but firmly exposes our sin. He calls us to assess ourselves and our own ignorance. Uh, he does this whenever we feel we can put, our position, put ourselves in a position over him. He pulls the rug out from under us. He shows us that we have nothing at all to stand on within ourselves. We have no moral authority. We have no spiritual authority. Uh, no means by which we could judge him. 
Uh, and this is so important to understand. Uh, maybe you're here today as a newcomer. You're not somebody who follows Jesus Christ. And, and let me be honest, I have to say, it's pretty brave of you to come to church. I mean, you're hanging out with this, this, uh, this motley crew of Christians, and I, I have to say, I commend you for giving it a go. Uh, uh, in your shoes, I, I'm not sure I would be here. So thank you for coming. But let me warn you, as you explore Christianity, as you begin to question the claims of Jesus Christ, don't be surprised when things start to flip. Don't be surprised when, uh, in exploring Christ, you begin to see Jesus Christ exploring and questioning you. Don't be surprised when God, through his word, starts to shine a light on, on the ways you think, on the ways you behave. Don't be surprised when you encounter Jesus Christ's spiritual judo. And as Christians, we need to remember this too, don't we? We need to remember that listening to Jesus Christ can be incredibly uncomfortable. As I heard someone say recently, God loves us too much uh, than to leave us how we are. He loves us too much than to leave us how we are. He's in the business of, of changing us, of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And change, as good as it is, is almost always uncomfortable. And that is why, before we close, we need to know that Jesus doesn't stop there. Yes, he's turned the tables on his opponents. He's challenged those who challenge his authority. He's challenged those who challenge his origin. He's exposed our inconsistency and ignorance. But, but Jesus Christ doesn't leave it there. And know, in his love, in his grace, he turns this back on us in another far more encouraging, far more positive way. And so let's uh, now briefly consider Jesus' challenging offer, his challenging offer or, or we could put it jesus challenging invitation right there in verse 37 and take a look take a look down at verse 37 with me now on the last day of the feast the great day jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water now, these verses, I should admit, deserve a whole sermon series to themselves. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't have time to uh, kind of nestle an entire sermon series into this third point today. You'll be glad to know. I've decided to move a bit more quickly in this sermon series. But what I do want you to understand here really is this. Uh, consider the sheer grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus offers to satisfy our thirst, but, but think about this. Think about where this offer comes and, and who this offer is being made to. Now, all of these people here are gathered for the Feast of Tabernacles. They're celebrating God's provision for Israel within their wandering in the wilderness. But notice the parallels here. These people, just like Israel back then, grumble against God. God is right there among them in Jesus Christ. And what do they have to say? Well, all they have to do is question him and to challenge him and, and challenge his authority. But what does God do? What did God do? They're in the wilderness. Well, despite all of that, God provided for them. He provided miraculous bread, manna, that we saw in chapter 6, John chapter 6. And he gave them water, living water from the rock. And Jesus says here, look, I am the bread. Well, look, he says, I am the water, the living water as well. Despite your complaining, your challenging, your grumbling, come to God, come to me. It doesn't matter that you're inconsistent. It doesn't matter that you're ignorant. If you're thirsty, come. Come and drink. In fact, I think this is how John chapter 7 works. I think it works a little bit like this. Uh, up until verse 36, Jesus has been working us hard. Uh, coming back to Judah, he's been throwing us around the mat, if you will. 
He's been turning our attacks back on us. He's been doing that to humble us, to expose our sin. He flips it. He pushes us back to see our sin. He exposes our ignorance. And so he has us now, uh, by this point, pinned to the mat, so to speak. Uh, we've been beaten up, and quite frankly, it's painful. And he has us in a chokehold, and, and so what will we do? Are we ready to tap out? I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to those uh, days doing judo. But how does Jesus Christ respond? Well, he gets up and he says this. You look tired. You look thirsty. You look a little bit beaten up. Well, let me, let me now provide for you. And after a physical workout, we run for the water fountain. Where can we go after a spiritual workout like this? Where can we go without inconsistency? Where can we go without ignorance? If anyone thirsts, says Jesus, let him come to me and drink. Now, I will give you living waters. I'll give you refreshment for your soul. I will give you exactly what you need. Uh, come to me and this living water will begin to flow, not just within you, but also through you. All you need to do is believe in me. All you need to do is tap out to stop fighting and living your own way. And instead, put your trust in me. And if you do, I will give you living water. And by living water, John tells us, Jesus means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. And let's consider for a moment, what exactly does the Holy Spirit do? Well, when we come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit invades our hearts. Uh, and what does the Spirit do whenever he comes in? Uh, well, the Spirit begins to change us. Slowly but surely, he begins to expose and overcome our sin, our inconsistency in the way that we live. Slowly but surely, little by little, he, he, he starts to change our motives. We start to change from within. And we begin to want what God wants. We want to do his will, as Jesus says there in verse 17. He begins to write his law upon our hearts. And so, little by little, we pursue the glory of God above the glory of ourselves. Verse 18. Now, little by little, we become ever so slightly less inconsistent, ever so slightly less hypocritical. We begin to start to judge things, not by outward appearances, but, but righteously and spiritually, as, as Jesus says in verse 24. And as the Spirit works through the Word of God, we begin to know God. God begins to overcome our ignorance of Him. And because of the Spirit's work, we even have the audacity to claim to know God through Jesus Christ, as, as Jesus himself says. Now, what an amazing offer from Jesus Christ. What an amazing offer after we've been dragged onto the mat through our sin. That Jesus promises to give us true and living water. And yet, what a challenging offer this is as well. I mean, it really stirs up the crowd, doesn't it? It is this very claim that, that leads to the division amongst the people that we read about in verse 43. It is this offer of living water that seems to harden some people's hearts against Jesus Christ, only further exposing their ignorance and their sin. And yet it's this same offer that seems to soften other people. I think, for example, of Nicodemus. We met him, didn't we, in chapter 3. Now here is a man who seemed very ignorant, very confused, and yet now he seems to be getting it, doesn't he? And the question is, what will this offer do for you? Now, are you challenging Jesus' authority in your life right now? If so, will you heed Jesus' challenge to you about your own inconsistency? Now, are you challenging Jesus' origin? Do you think he was just a man? If so, will you heed his challenge about you and the source of your ignorance? 
Or will you admit that you don't know God, that you're unfamiliar with the God that made you? And if so, will you heed Jesus' amazing offer? Uh, will you come to him? Will you believe in him? Will you drink this living water? If anyone thirsts, says Jesus Christ, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And let's come to him now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way that uh, you expose our hearts, our inconsistency and our ignorance. Uh, but thank you for the provision you've given us in your son. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for this promise that whoever thirsts can come to you and drink. And so, Lord, we pray that you would stir in our hearts a sense of thirst. Help us recognize our need for you. And then help us come, Lord. Help us believe. Help us rely on him. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.